Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. The scripture reading this morning will be found in the book of Luke, chapter 6. We will read verses 27 through 36. That's Luke, chapter 6, verses 27 through 36. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you, and pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on one cheek, also offer the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if ye love them which love you, what thanks have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if ye do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love ye your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. For he is kind unto unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving your word to the disciples of the way of your kingdom that is filled with love and blessings. We ask you today to help us as Christians to feel the same way with these teachings, also to love. We ask that your blessing be upon the pastor as he delivers the message. We ask this in our Lord Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Jesus' final words to his disciples before he left our earth was this. He says in Matthew, Go and make disciples of all nations by baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And that is the primary task, I believe, of all Christians, and certainly is a high priority for me as a pastor. A big part of what it means to be a pastor is to teach you to obey everything Jesus commanded. Sometimes that's easy. Uh, This morning, not so much. This section of Jesus' teaching may be the most radical, extreme, and impossible commands that Jesus ever gave us. And yet he says, obey everything I command you, even this. Our text this morning is one of the most difficult texts, I believe, in all the Bible. I was listening yesterday, on, I was at work listening uh, to an audio book. It was a biography of Martin Luther, and it caught my eye, or my ear, when he, he was talking about this particular text. And he said, this is hundreds of years ago, he said, this word is too high and too hard that any man should fulfill it. I think from the time that Jesus spoke these words, even to today, whenever we read it, that's just what we think. We think there's no way, as we read these verses, there is no way we could ever live up to this. Many have tried to dismiss the relevance of this section by saying that somehow it doesn't apply to us. And again, I remind you that Jesus calls us to obey everything he commanded. The love that Jesus calls us to is extreme. And while there's 
some difficult parts of this teaching that I don't even know how to work out in my own life necessarily. I don't want to smooth over the sharp edges of this teaching and just make it uh, simple and palatable to us. This is a hard command. And so we're going to walk through this text as we do every week, and we're going to see how Jesus taught us to love people, especially that we can't stand. Love is what is uh, at the heart of this text. The Greek word love, you may have heard of this, agape. It's a familiar word. It it means uh, a lot more than our English word. I I think the English word love is one of the most unhelpful words in our language. Uh, We use the same word to describe our favorite, you know, type of pizza as we do our family. It's just a strange word like that. We can say love, and it doesn't mean much. It's uh, what we call semantic overload. We use one word to mean very different things. And so I think in America, when we think of the word love, we tend to think of it as an emotion. It's something that you can fall in or out of. This is not the biblical definition of love. Agape love expresses itself in actions, not just feelings or words. Agape love uh, can be defined as self-sacrificing for the good and joy of another. That's one of my favorite definitions of this. And that's the type of love that Jesus is calling us to. The first shocking thing about this love that Jesus calls us to is verse 27, those who he tells us we're supposed to love. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Jesus says, love your enemies. Those who hate you, do good to them. That's the first difficult thing about this love is who we are to love. Next, notice how we are to love. Verse 27 says, we love our enemies by doing good to them. This is a love that expresses itself in actions. But then he takes it a step further in verse 28. He says, bless them which curse you. That would be your speech, loving them with your speech. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Loving your enemies is hard. Doing uh, good for those who hate you is difficult. But Jesus says you're supposed to love them so much that not only do you outwardly express this by loving actions, but you genuinely from your heart love people so much that you bless them with your words and you pray for them in your heart. Don't just put on a show with your actions and appear to love somebody who's mistreating you. Rather, when no one's looking, when nobody's around, when nobody sees your piety, love them enough to pray, to pray for their good. Pray for the person you can't stand. Pray for the person who treats you horribly. Love them enough to bless them and pray for their good. You have to really want something good to happen to somebody in order to pray for them. This is not a natural disposition even for Christians. William Tyndale is one of my heroes in church history. He was the man who first translated the Bible into English. In fact, if you have a King James Bible, you're reading 90% what he translated about 100 years before the King James He did so at a time uh, when the Church of England did not permit the Bible to be in any language except Latin. It was illegal for Tyndale to translate the Bible into English. He wanted the common man to be able to read the Bible for themselves, but this was against the law. He had to do his work in hiding. He fled numerous times. He started in England, and then he fled to Germany, and then to Holland. He just kept running, uh, really, for his life. The Bishop of London publicly burned Tyndale's Bible. In fact, the the Archbishop of Canterbury purchased as many of Tyndale's English Bibles as he could in order to destroy them. He did not want these being disseminated. In 1535, Tyndale was imprisoned for his crime of translating the Bible, and he spent the next year and a half in prison. And then in 1536, Tyndale was led out of his cell to a stake where he was publicly burned to death while being strangled simultaneously. Just before his execution, his last words were this. He said, Lord, 
open the king of England's eyes. That's praying for your enemies. Not a vindictive spirit, a spirit of wanting the king of England to come to the truth and to see that what he was doing was good. God answered that prayer of Tyndale's just a year later. King Henry had a change of heart, and he allowed the Bible to be translated into English. And very soon after that, we, we began to have multiple English translations within those early years, all because, because a man like William Tyndale not only was willing to put his life on the line to get, to get the Bible to us and in our language, because he loved his enemies enough to pray for them. Paul prayed something similar for the Jews who persecuted him in Romans 10. It says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. These were men, uh, people that, uh, a religious establishment that tried to kill Paul and eventually did. They, they put him on trial numerous times. They put him in prison everywhere he went, and yet he prayed for them, wanted their, them to be saved. I wonder, as you think about the enemies in your life, how often do you pray for their good? How often do you do good to them? How often do you bless them? We've seen those we are to love, namely our enemies. We've seen how we are to love by doing good, by praying, and by blessing them. And then in verse 29, we start to see the extent of this radical love. How far should we go with this? Verse 29 says, Unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other. Him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. If someone strikes you on the face, don't retaliate. This is not talking necessarily about physical abuse. This was a way of shaming someone publicly. In synagogues, if you were kicked out of the synagogue, you would be struck across the face. It was just a public humiliation. A common way to insult people. Uh, we'll see one example of this in John's Gospel. This is when Jesus is on trial before Caiaphas. John 18 says, The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort, and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me, what I have said unto them. Behold, they, they know what I said. When he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? So that's what it means to be struck on the cheek. There's a good example of it. It's a public humiliation. It's an insult. And Jesus tells us not to retaliate. Back to our text in verse 29. Not only this, but the end of the text says, If someone takes away your cloak, don't forbid them to take your coat as well. So if somebody strikes you on the cheek, accept it and don't retaliate. If somebody steals your cloak, not only should you not demand it back, you should give them your coat as well. What in the world? It seems like Jesus is teaching that this love is one that should allow others to take advantage of us. There's a principle here, I think, that whenever we choose to love someone, we open ourselves up for hurt. And the more we choose to love someone, and the more we open our heart to someone, the more they have the ability to hurt us and take advantage of us. So how do we respond to this? How do we respond when we love someone with our words, and we pray for them, and we seek their good, and we do good to them, and they respond by taking advantage of us? Jesus says, keep loving them. And if that wasn't a hard enough pill to swallow, he continues in verse 30 with what I would say is even more radical. It says, give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Now this would be easier if it said, give to some of the people that ask you. I can handle that. Uh, in fact, when I was looking at this text, as soon as I began to study it, I wondered, well, maybe the word every isn't in Greek. Maybe it was a translational decision or something. I looked it up. Not only is it in Greek, it's the first word of the sentence. 
uh, which is one of the ways Greek has of emphasizing a word. So this is like underlining it. Give to every man that asks of you. Now, obviously, we can't give to everyone who asks. None of us have the resources to do that. I think the point of every man is what's being emphasized throughout the text. Don't just give to your friends. Don't just give to people you love. Don't just provide for your family, but be as willing and ready to give to your enemy, to the person who hates you, to the person who mistreats you. Give to everyone indiscriminately. When someone takes away your goods, don't demand them back. Uh, the word doesn't exactly mean just asking for it back. It means asking with urgency, demanding it, saying, pay me back now. So how are we supposed to understand this? Should we never call the police if we're robbed? Should we keep giving to everybody until we have nothing left to give? We see several commands toward our enemies and those who mistreat us in this text, all of which go completely against our nature. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to do good to them. We're supposed to bless them. We're supposed to pray for them. We're not to retaliate when hurt or stolen from, but respond with more love and more giving. But sometimes there are situations that cause a collision of these commands. For instance, if someone is asking for money and you know that they have a serious drug problem, do you love them by doing what's best for them and not giving them that money, or do you love them by giving to them? There's a collision of these two commands here. Sometimes the best way to do good to someone and to bless them is to not give them what they want. I think all of you parents would know this. You don't just give your children everything they want or they'll be a spoiled brat. So do Jesus' words here preclude the need for moderation and contentment? These are not always easy things to sort out. I think what's most important here is the attitude behind the actions. Jesus began this teaching with the word love, and that's the central part of this whole text. Love them, bless them, seek to do them good, pray for them. And from that heart should flow actions through the rest of the text that he gives as examples. In other words, this should be your default response to your enemies, to people who mistreat you, uh, when they take advantage of you. This is how you should respond. So when somebody asks me for money, this is, just, this is just me personally, maybe you're better than me. Uh, when I drive by a street corner, and you've seen these people with cardboard signs out asking for money, my internal reaction, and you pray for me that I'll, I'll grow, but my internal gut reaction is they're lazy. They could go work a job. They, they don't deserve my money. That's, that's just the way my sinful heart thinks. I don't know if you can relate with that. But my, my immediate heart reaction is get a job, man. Why should I, why should I give you money that I worked for? Without knowing anything about the person, I just assume that they're lazy and that they'll misuse whatever money I give them. So in five seconds, I justify not helping them. And that is my, my natural bent. Maybe some of you can relate to that. That's my default mode. I think what Jesus is saying here is your default mode should be the opposite. When you see the guy with the cardboard sign, you should instinctively, instead of justifying not helping them, instinctively think, can I help them? You should look at the, at the time, see if you have time to take him, get some food. You should park your car, go back to them, talk to the person, try to care for them and help them. That should be the default mode of a Christian. Now, there's some times where you can't help, and we have to recognize that. There's times when you need to, you need to get to work on time. You don't have time to give a meal right now. You, you may not have money to give. But the heart of a follower of Jesus should seek to help, not just immediately justify not helping. And I think that's the point that our default mode needs to be switched. When we see somebody in need, instead of immediately thinking of five reasons, and we can do this in 10 seconds, we can all think of five reasons why we shouldn't help them. 
And I think the default mode should be to pray and ask, should I help this person? Now let's balance this out by recognizing that we have multiple levels of responsibility. Uh, 1 Timothy 5 says, if anybody provides not for his own, and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. So we have a responsibility to provide for our family, for those who are depending on us. In the context of 1 Timothy 5, Paul is actually referring to your elderly family members. So if you have a mother or something that's a widow, it's your responsibility to provide for them. But by extension, I think this principle applies to the rest of those who are under our care. We are to make sure that our household is provided for financially. So I don't think you should take from your rent money to go pay somebody who's just asking money of you. You have other responsibilities. Psalm 37.21 shows us we have a responsibility to pay our bills and to keep our financial promises. The wicked borroweth and payeth not again. But the righteous showeth mercy and giveth. So we have a responsibility to provide for our family, to pay our bills, to pay our financial obligations. But we also have a responsibility to give to others and to bless them financially. And in Ephesians chapter 4 especially, I think Paul doesn't see as an option for Christians that you just don't have this hard attitude. In fact, this is one of the reasons Paul gives us for why we go to work. Ephesians 4.28 says, Let him that stole steal no more. But rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. So one of the reasons, he says, you go to work and you labor is so that you can have in order to give. This is, this is one of the reasons you go to work. Now, I don't, I don't know about you, that's not how I think about work. I think about work, again, this is my natural tendency, I think about work providing for me. The reason I go to work is to pay my bills. The reason I go to work is to feed my stomach. The reason I go to work is, is all about me. I don't think as I'm going to work, boy, I should pull some overtime in order to help somebody else out. Uh, this is a totally unnatural way of thinking about finances. Now, there's obvious limitations here. Again, we can't give to everyone who asks. It's not possible. We have to provide for our family. We have to pay our bills. I don't think the point of the words every man in our text is to say, uh, literally every single person that asks you for money until you have nothing you should give. I think the point is, you should not discriminate about those who you're willing to help. The whole context of this sermon, Jesus is saying over and over again, uh, treat other people with the same love that you treat your best friends. Treat those who hate you and mistreat you with the same level of love and willingness to help as you would your family members. Love your enemies. Love those who mistreat you. And so I think when he says, give to every man who asks, I take that to mean, don't be willing to give to your friends and family and unwilling to likewise help uh, the jerks in your life if you're able to help them, if they're in need. I think that understanding fits the context here. So I th again, I think the point of every man is when somebody you don't like or when somebody who's mistreated you or taken advantage of you asks something of you, you should treat them as if you were your best friend. Would you be willing to lend that amount of money to a friend or loved one? And sometimes the answer is no. Again, sometimes we don't have the money. Sometimes we don't have the resources or whatever it is that they're asking for. So I don't think this is always just an automatic yes. So I don't think that Jesus is teaching as long as you have two nickels to rub together, you have too much and you should give one away. I think the point is to cultivate a heart attitude towards your enemies that is as willing to help and bless them as if they were a friend. Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, 
that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate. It's a great balance here in Paul's writing about uh, the heart of a person who has financial abundance. Notice verse 17 says that God's given us richly all things to enjoy. There's nothing wrong with having. There's nothing wrong with spending money. There's nothing wrong with enjoying things with your family. There's nothing wrong with that. But verse 18 follows that up with, you should also have a heart attitude that's ready to give. Yes, you can have money. You can enjoy what God's blessed you with, but also be willing and ready to help others and to give. Now, how much of that you should do, I don't know. Uh, Does the cloak and coat principle apply to other things? Like if somebody steals your car, should you give them your motorcycle too? Is this, you know, how far do we go with this? Or is this only in smaller things that we have multiples of? I, I don't know. I don't know how to fully work out all these questions. But I think if we've never given to somebody who's asked, if we've never allowed others to take advantage of us, if we always retaliate against those who hurt us, that's not how Christian love works itself out. I don't know how much is too much. I don't know where the boundaries are here. But I do know that this kind of radical love that seems so strange to us should be a part of our lives. And this was the expectation of Jesus. There's gray areas in life where we don't always know what the perfect action is. We have to choose what we hope will do the greatest good for the person. And I think if we're making those choices out of a heart of love, wanting to bless them, wanting to do good good to our enemies, to those who take advantage of us, if our default response is love, we'll show others what Christian love looks like. It does require some thought. It requires some work to think about what is truly best for this person. And again, sometimes those commands collide. Sometimes giving to them is not what's doing good for them. And you have to work out those things in your own heart. Let's consider a couple more passages. Uh, One from the Old Testament. Proverbs 3.27 says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thine hand to do it. Say not unto thy neighbor, Go and come again, and tomorrow I will give, when thou hast it by thee. So there's a principle there. If you can help somebody, if it's in your power to do it, don't delay in doing so. Galatians 6, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. So here there seems to be a priority on helping and doing good to those, especially who are brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, Those in our church community, we ought to be seeking to help one another when someone's going through a difficult time. We should be willing and, and ready to help as we are able. And I think Jesus' teaching in Luke 6 says, it shouldn't matter who they are. If it's a dear friend, if it's a bitter enemy who's repeatedly mistreated you, we're supposed to love them and be willing to help them in the same way we do others. Verse 31, this might be the key to the whole section. Luke 6, 31, As ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them. This is the golden rule. This is one of Jesus' most famous statements. A lot of people in the world that don't never even read the Bible know this. They know that Jesus said this. Treat others as you want them to treat you. This is the essence of Christian love. And then Jesus follows this sentence up in a very uh, unexpected way. He goes on to say in verse 32, notice the first word is for. So he just said, as you want other people to do to you, you should do to them. For, because, if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do even the same. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. So the reason, after giving the golden rule, he says, you should love them, you should love others, and you should want uh, to help them and love them as much as you want others to help you. 
And if you only love those who love you, sinners do that. I, I'm trying to show you a type of love, Jesus is saying, that's radically different from the rest of the world. And this golden rule principle doesn't just apply to your family. It doesn't just apply to people that are in uh, your circle of friends. In fact, Jesus makes a point of saying this should apply to the worst person in your life. The person that mistreats you, the person that takes advantage of you, the person that hates you. And I think this, again, supports my interpretation of verse 30 that Jesus is saying that type of genuine love without boundaries that you have toward friends and loved ones, that agape love should extend to everyone including your enemies. So I want us to think as we go throughout this, think about the person you love most in the world. Think about that person that you would do anything for. I think we all have some in our, and certainly family is probably the first person you think of, but we all have people like that, that if, if you could do anything for them, pretty much you would do it. Now think about the person that's mistreated you. He's been a jerk to you. And Jesus is saying, treat that enemy as good as you would treat your friend. Care as much for them. Pray as much for their good as you would that close loved one. Treat the one who takes advantage of you as well as you treat the one you love most. And if you're not sure what that means, Jesus says, treat them like you would want to be treated. Whenever you choose to love someone, like I said, you open yourself up for hurt. Whenever you open your heart to somebody, you open yourself up to be taken advantage of. But don't let that stop you from loving others. When you lend money to people, you don't always get paid back. I think we, some, most, all of us probably have experienced that. Uh, when you lend money, it's rare that you get it back. But Jesus says, don't stop lending. Keep doing so as you're able to, and don't expect to be repaid. The love that Jesus is advocating here is a love without any expectations. I'm going to love you. I'm going to do good for you. I'm going to bless you, even if none of that is ever reciprocated. In fact, if you respond to my love with rudeness, and if you take advantage of my love, that won't stop me. This is a radical love. I think this would change a lot of our marriages in Christian culture if we would love each other in this way. If we would love without expectation, if we would love without reciprocation, if we would love and give without expecting to be repaid. This would help us in church relations. This would help us in, especially as Jesus points out, loving our enemies. If we continue to respond to love when we're mistreated and taken advantage of, we display the love of God. And this is the final point in verse 35 as Jesus concludes this section. It says, But love your enemies and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great. So there's one motivation, is reward. And ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. As we saw last week, our suffering now as a Christian will be more than compensated in eternity. And Jesus is teeing off of that teaching, continuing in this section to say, however much you might be taken advantage of in this life when you love people and they take advantage of that love, you will be more than compensated in the life to come. You won't be missing out when you get to eternity. No, you'll have a great reward if we respond in love. Hebrews 10.34 says, Ye had compassion of me and my bonds and took joyfully the spoiling of your goods, knowing in yourselves that ye have in heaven a better and an enduring substance. These people joyfully took the spoiling of their goods. They were taken advantage of by others, and they did so joyfully. They weren't upset about it because they knew that in heaven they have a better and a longer-lasting uh, reward. The reward we have to look forward to lasts far longer and is far superior to whatever loss we experience in this life as a result of loving people. 
Back to Luke 6, 35. I want to go to one final section there. The end of verse 35, this may have caught your eye. It says, and ye shall. So if you do these things, if you love, do good, and lend, ye shall be children of the highest. For he is kind unto the unthankful and evil. Now this leads to an obvious question. Should you love your enemies so that you can be the children of God? Because that's how it seems to, to read. It seems to imply that this is how you become a child of God. Loving your enemies, doing good, lending without expectation. Is this how you become God's child? I don't think so because of the next verse. Verse 36 says, Be therefore merciful as your Father also is merciful. So Jesus says, as your Father is. He's saying to the disciples, God is your Father. So it's not do this so that you can, but God is your Father. Jesus is implying here that God is your Father now. And he's treating the disciples as though not only are you God's children now, but one of the ways that that necessarily proves itself out in the world is through loving your enemies, through doing good, and through lending without expectation. In other words, God's children look like their father. They demonstrate that they are God's children by having his characteristics. I think it's clear from this text that if you do not have these characteristics, you have no reason to assume that you are his child. Remember when I was a boy... I don't remember the exact context of this, but there was a a time when I said, I can't, about something. Something that I was told to do, and I said, I can't do that. And my dad became very upset with me. I remember him saying to me something that made no sense to me. He said, Greens don't say I can't. Greens, my last name, in case you're wondering. Greens don't say I can't. And I thought, but I just did. And I'm a green, so obviously they do. Uh, But the point is, he was calling me to, to to be what I was. He said, apparently, yes, you're a green. You're still a green even though you just did that, but you've done something that greens don't do. Therefore, basically he's saying, you're a green, now act like it. I think there's something similar in what Jesus means here. Love your enemies, do good to them. If God is your father, start acting like it. This is how God's children love. This is how God himself loves. And that ultimately roots itself in our father. The radical Christian love that Jesus is commanding originates from our father. Our Father is merciful. Luke says he's kind to the unthankful and evil. And we are to act like our Father. Now, why should we do this? Again, we we saw in the verse 35 that we'll be rewarded uh, greatly for this. But also, this is how we show others what God is like. A lot of people, the way that the the most that most people know about God is what they see in us Christians. There's a lot of people that will never read the Bible. There's a lot of people that will never come to our church. And you may be the, 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 um, you may be the biggest a spokesman for God in their life. You may be the only true Christian they ever meet. You may be the, the one person in their life that they know that's supposed to be a follower of Jesus. And the way that you love shows them what God is like. Because God loved his enemies. We were enemies of God and he sent his son to die for us and to purchase our forgiveness. God does good to us. God blesses us. God is kind to us who are unthankful and evil. Ephesians 4, verse 32 says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Uh, the next verse, forget the chapter break, but the next verse here is Ephesians 5, 1. Be therefore followers of God. The word followers there means imitators. Imitate God as dear, dear children. So just like kids act like their parents, you should act like your father. And the next verse shows us how we do that. Verse 2, walk in love. As Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. No human ever demonstrated this type of radical love better than Jesus. 
Romans 5 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Jesus loved those who sinned against him, those who were his enemies, as Romans says, even to the point of dying for them. He gave his life for his enemies. He loved those who would hurt him. He fed, healed, and served many who would later demand his death. He prayed for Peter's good, even though he knew Peter would deny him. He even washed the feet of Judas Iscariot just days before he would betray him. 2 Corinthians says of Jesus, For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. Jesus knows what it's like to give and to be taken advantage of, to lose, to suffer loss for us, his enemies. He knows what it's like to be struck on the cheek. Again, Luke 22 records this before his trial. It says, The men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. When they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? And many other things blasphemously spake they against him. When Jesus was crucified, they also took his cloak and his coat. John 19 says, The soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts, to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from top throughout. They said, therefore, unto themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scriptures might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiments among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Peter summed up the response of Jesus to his treatment in his crucifixion in 1 Peter 2. It says, Even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also hath suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Jesus was mistreated beyond anything you or I have experienced, and yet he responded with radical love. He did not retaliate. And he calls us as his followers to follow his example and to love in the same way that he did. John 13 says, A new commandment I give unto you, this is Jesus speaking, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. How can we show others around us the love of Christ? The answer Jesus gives is by displaying that kind of love in our own lives. Why should we love our enemies? Why should we allow others to take advantage of us? Why should we respond in love no matter how much mistreatment we receive? Why should we do good? Why should we give to those who take from us and mistreat us? Because that's what Jesus did for us. And there is no more compelling witness to your faith than when you demonstrate that radical love of Christ to those around you. I want to close this morning with one final text, Romans chapter 12, where Paul writes, Recompense to no man, evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt keep coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com 
or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.